Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts. I'm Clarity, and with me as always is Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The host and guest come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the hosts share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. Um, so, what do we have for the topic today, Clarity? That is a lovely question. I think this episode is about allyship. You are correct. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. Well, um, I think that what allyship really focuses on is um, how to be a trustworthy ally to your neighbor, whether that may be a person of color or someone that belongs in the LGBTQ plus community and other backgrounds. Somebody um, marginalized. Marginalized backgrounds, indeed. So before we begin, we'd like to take the opportunity to thank our guests participating for our episode today. We have Tanya Paslowski. Uh, pronounce she, her, who is with AWARE, Advancing White Anti-Racist Education, which discusses racism with white caucus organizations, and they can be found at awaretogether.org. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Thanks for having me. We also have Zach, he, him pronouns, who volunteers with the Firecracker, Firecracker Foundation works with a, and works with a video podcast, 20 to Light. Hello, Zach. Hi. Thanks for having me. And lastly, we have Claire, who is just an amazing human being, and her pronouns are she, her. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we have Fractal. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today, and welcome to Third Paradigm. <laughs> so for clarity, let's go over some house rules and our structure for the evening. Please mute your mic when you are not speaking. This is to give respect to other participants and avoid feedback and background noise. Because this is a digital podcast, call lagging may cause interruptions. We apologize for this as it is beyond our control. We will direct the questions to an individual participant and then open it to the floor. Each question will take roughly five minutes to answer in total, not five minutes per person per question. When answering or commenting, please announce yourself so the listeners know who is speaking. This will include us as the hosts. Last rule we have is please respect one another. Refrain, refrain from insulting others here today. We may have disagreements, and that's wonderful. Let's keep it simple. Thank you, Clarity. You really that makes <laughs> much, much clearer. Um, is everybody ready? Um, ready to go? All right. Well, we're ready to go. Ready. My favorite question is um, the icebreaker questions that kind of breaks the tension before we get started into heavy topics. Um, for icebreaker question, what was your least favorite food as a child? Do you still hate it or do you love it now? Uh, this is Fractal here. Okay. 
this is fractal here and my most hated and still hated are really wet tomatoes i can't stand them especially great tomatoes i'm so with you i'm so with you and oh i hate tomatoes this is tanya i'll share we were only given canned asparagus when i was a child and that is never good so now i do love fresh asparagus but no no more canned for me okay
You will never catch me with Hamburger Helper. Not ever. We also had a lot of bologna. I won't do that either. <laughs> I won't do bologna and I won't do Hamburger Helper. My husband's like, we can have stroganoff. No, we can't. No, we cannot. Nope. <laughs> Not doing it. <laughs> I feel you on the Hamburger Helper. I still like it somehow, but yeah, that was like a probably two, three times a week thing. Well, see, and I, I, I have to look up recipes and do it that way because one of my kids has gluten issues. But I can't do the, <laughs> I can't do that anymore. It doesn't taste right to me anymore. All righty, so we're gonna jump right into this, um, and we're gonna, no, we're good. Um, we're gonna go ahead and start with number one, um, and I'm gonna go ahead and direct this to Claire first. Uh, question one, do you think you are an ally? Yeah, Claire here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't, uh, I would never call myself an ally. Granted, I, I do think that, you know, I do try. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people try in that realm. Um, to do the best they can when it comes to um, being active, being actively anti-racist and, you know, for the little guy and marginalized communities and standing up for them. Um, but I, I don't think I would call myself one. All right. That's a good answer. I'm going to go okay. ahead open that up. This is just Tanya. I struggle with the term ally and it's become popular and pervasive in conversations about the role of white people on issues of race and it I think that it it's a label that can easily be used to make uh, someone maybe feel like they're engaged in racial justice actions, but doesn't really require that they do so. So um, I guess I wanted to share that I'm I I struggle with the label itself and what it actually means. Yeah, this is Zach. I mean, I, um, I feel similarly, I think what, to, um, to what Claire and Tanya said that like, I think the term has become problematic. I think going back to like the original meaning of ally, um, I looked it up the other day for another conversation I was having about allyship and it, um, some of the actual like etymology of it going back has to do with, um, talking about like marriage and um, like sort of like binding and <clears throat> I think some of the problem comes now with a lack of that same level of buy-in um, where you know folks can you know say that they're aligned with maybe the goals of an organization or a group or um, and then to an extent and maybe things get awkward or they get a little bit more difficult than they really feel like and they just kind of check out they might not be doing like active, um, you know, they're not going out and, 
you know, burning crosses or anything like crazy like that. But they just sort of they just sort of head back to the sidelines when they can. And um, you know, that's a huge point of privilege just to be able to be like, yeah, no, no, I I, I care immensely about black liberation until it's you know, I, if it gets a little bit inconvenient, then then you know maybe I'm maybe I'm gonna check out a little bit. And I I feel like that's what I see happen. Um, a lot, and, and I don't think that's what allyship actually means, but I think there are a lot of people who have adopted that term that then practice that, and it's, that's become associated for me. Um, but again, um, kind of like what Claire said, I, I don't think it's up to me to determine or, or to say like whether I am living those values to actually support um, racial equity or not. That would be something that um, I would... I would, I guess, aspire to or something, but that that wouldn't be my call. Those are definitely uh, valuable answers. Um, very, I think, well justified, indeed. Um, I guess it really comes down to what exactly is an ally. Um, so I'd like to open up the second question, and that's how would you describe what the term allyship means? in the current use of the word to someone who might not know what it entails. And um, what I'd like to do is really answer my own question first. And I find that what allyship really means is a, a being that recognizes a marginalized community and that being uses um, its own, uh, I want to say, uh, born privilege to benefit that marginalized community, whether that be, you know, the black community or the, the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, uh, that being just wants to really uh, stand up and speak up for the marginalized community and also, you know, fight for uh, the rights for that other uh, discriminated uh, community. And I'd like to open up this question to the floor if anyone would like to add anything. Sure, Claire. Um, I think the modern term of the word or at least like how I would define it to someone who maybe doesn't know would definitely just be um, aligning oneself with marginalized communities to help and support them um, whether that's awareness whether that's um, you know in in whatever capacity is truly needed not just what not just what helps you know prop them up or you know um, it's you know it's it's a work that's not just it's not linear it's not like oh oh you just got to do this one thing and then you're an ally or that's allyship you know it's such a huge spectrum of like what you what humans are capable of in terms of reaching out to someone else who needs help and I think that that's like most basic form of it is just reaching like reaching across the table or um you know uh helping helping someone in a marginalized community that but not even helping it's just aligning yourself with 
a person of a marginalized community and saying, what do you need from me? And just, and then like act, acting on that, acting on where the need is, not like, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily saying like go around asking people for help, <laughs> like asking them if you, they need your help. You know, it's it's taking a, an active role, taking up the mantle of um, whether it's marching or volunteering in uh, you know at Planned Parenthood or other organizations. You know, like whatever it is. I think that's truly, at least in the in the current like use of the term allyship, like that's more of what I think it means. At least to me personally, maybe I I don't know if it would necessarily be um, what I would how I would describe. That's that's kind of how I would describe it to someone who didn't know at all. You know, if they're going from zero to what does it mean? Like I don't know. I think that that's that's probably how I would describe it to them. Uh, this is Fractal here. Just to piggyback off of what Claire said, I think um, everything she said is just right. And I think the main two points is really just not standing for any human being, no matter what their background is, to be dehumanized, to be demonized. Um, even those sometimes of your enemies to a degree where you just don't, you wouldn't allow anyone to be disrespected. Um, by anyone as well as you are standing up for the rights their 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 rights as a human being their essential rights in a sense from their institutions or their government to not be violated and whatever forms that are necessary to act upon that you act on it when it doesn't necessarily affect you directly I don't want to relabel your episode, but um, I like um, Tanya alluded to it earlier, and I, I agree that like I think there's a sort of an ideal version of what allyship could be, and then there's what what it has come to mean for some folks. That um, like I said, I think it's become potentially problematic, and I think there are different terms thrown around. Like I like the idea of being a co-conspirator, or um, and or just not worrying about labeling it. I guess, but um, that makes it kind of hard logistically to have a conversation about it. But I think the how I would describe it to somebody who's trying to come, you know, into it brand new is that they're a lot of the work, um, most of the work, especially to begin with, is really with yourself and realizing like what am like why do I why do I even why do I care about this? Why am I even here? What are my motivations? and doing a lot of introspection around um, you know, harm you may already have caused and what accountability looks like to you for that and just realizing that like, that's, that's not going to stop. You're going to screw up other things and like, understanding how, to, um, like, how do you want to show up for this and are you ready to be called in um, when you screw it up and not take that... Um, defensively and not, you know, not double down in, in fragility. And it's, I think it's a, it's, it has a lot to do with listening both, I think, to your own feelings and um, to everyone around you and not doing, I think there's a lot of folks who just want to rush in and do, and that's where some of the harm is caused is like, 
well, well, here's how I would handle it, or here's what I think we should do, or something. And it's like, no, you're you're brand new to this. You're not you haven't been part of this movement. You don't know what people's needs are. Um, you probably have, I mean, you have talents and skills that you can bring to the table to help, um, but you need to be taking that direction from somebody else who's who's already part of this and not um, jumping in and you know mansplaining or whitesplaining. I don't know. That's a term. <laughs> Your way into the uh, into the movement. It is absolutely a term. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. I appreciate that. I like. Thank you for that. Yeah, I like the way you laid all of that out. Um, so we do actually have to move on. Um, we're going to move on to the third question uh, for Tanya. What does being a true ally mean to you? I, as I was listening to all of the discussion, Zach just nailed it, of what I think it requires in the, the very best framing of this term. It, it, it's not a title that you take on. It's not just an action you take. It's who you are. It's how you interact with the world. It's how you see society, your place in it, and understanding the place of others. And so that personal aspect of the journey is so key in both seeing your, your own um, misconceptions, being vulnerable enough to look at how you may be part of the problem and then being open to the experiences of others that aren't like you that I think we have seen surface over the last four years in in a way that's really heartbreaking of the othering uh, of seeing people not like us as not as worthy as we are and we all have some of that in us. So being able to recognize when we show up that way is hard and can make us feel bad about ourselves and is a reason people avoid it. But to truly be an ally in the framing of, I want to be part of making things better for this group that I know otherwise does not get equal shake in society, it is it is a very personal journey and it requires both vulnerability and bravery. Wow, thank you. Totally. I don't think anyone, uh, Claire here, I don't think any one of us could have said it any better. I think it's definitely a, uh, like, it's really, it's especially deeply personal to each individual. Like there's no, there's no one person that can and you can search for instruction on how to be better, but I don't think you can, um, you have to be able to edit yourself. There has to be a self-reflective nature to it and like how, how you're interacting with the world and what, um, like what systems do you have a power to change and what systems do you have a voice to give, to give change to? Um, yeah, you said it perfectly. <laughs> Yeah, Zach here, I wanted, to, I wanted to snap, well, I did snap for that, but my mic was muted so you couldn't hear it, but I loved your explanation. 
Um, yeah, and I think the personal aspect of it is huge. I think, um, you know, this summer I saw a lot of people pushing, um, like, reading lists and stuff, and I think that can definitely, that can be super helpful. Um, there's a ton of really great books out there, and I think you need to, in some way, find a way to expose yourself to other people's experiences to try to grasp as much as possible what their life has been like and understand how different that can be from your own. Um, but it, it does at some point have to be, it has to be something unique to you. Um, I know for me, like, it, there were a lot of a lot of points growing up where I just felt like my control over my own body and my situ and, and my life were removed from removed from me without my consent. And I see that happening. You know, I, I watch videos of protests and I see people being, you know, assaulted by police officers or, um, it, I mean, all the all the terrible things that we saw this summer. And that's one of the things that resonates the most strongly for me is that like I can't. I want to be there. And I want to restore like their own autonomy and their own control because like that's a that's we deserve that like we deserve to be able to make decisions about our own body and people are actively taking that from other people and I know that's one of the things that's like at, at the heart of that the most for me um, and that informs the way that I interact with the movement and with people and how I can show up for them. Excellent. Thank you very much for your inputs. Is there anyone else that would like to share their two cents? Okay. Well, um, moving on to question four. How can we educate people on being an ally without relying on people of color to do the educating? Is this an issue? And I'll direct this to Fractal. All right, thank you. Thank you for directing the question to me. So I truly believe um, being a, a, a black man in America, um, the person of color that one of the main things to do is to really do some research um, from very good sources, um, about history, you know, and know what has happened in your country. Um, we do have the internet. We do have, as black people say, Google University. So you can look things up and that way it does show a certain amount of commitment towards caring about the issue. I, I do want to give a little pushback though, because as much as I understand with my fellow brothers and sisters in the struggle about always being asked questions and being relied upon, um, and two things, one, I'm kind of happy that people are asking because I grew up in a time where nobody cared and it took so long just to get people to care. And I know that there's a lot of annoyance with online stuff with, you know, SJWs being a good thing, but then kind of being turned into a bad thing. So I think we're figuring it out. But at the same time, when I was in university, I remember black people coming to me and saying, you know, there are white folks that took black history courses and then they would come up to black people and say, no, let me tell you how black history happened. Let me tell you how things happened. So I kind of do want people of color to be in the room and to have a say in the means of production of new rights or, you know, in the plans of how to move forward because it shouldn't be just left up 
all to black people to fix the problem, but we should still be involved to give direction and guidance on what our issues are, because it does take clarity and nuance in a sense, pun intended, to make sure that those issues are addressed from the people who actually feel it, and to make sure that, you know, the right information is being given, because there is a lot of misinformation. So I think it's a balance of doing your own research, doing some self-reflection, and coming to people saying, hey, this is what I learned, what do you think about this, rather than just relying on them, but also not saying, hey, I learned this, and this is how it goes, because that's also a form of domination or tyranny, and it leads back into a form of privilege that no one really wants in this situation. Claire, I think you're so right on with people being able to educate themselves. I mean, we have so much at our disposal, but at the same time, like I think you were touching on, it's like, I think it's a two-way conversation. Like, it's very possible that it's a real issue, and especially with a lot of people, like some friends of color of mine have said, like, I don't, like, it's exhausting being asked constantly. And I think that there's a point, there's a point where you can ask a close friend, like, hey, I had a question, I don't know who else to ask, is it cool if I ask you, and be open to whatever the response is. Like, some people don't have the time of day to be giving instructions, you know, or like, you know, here's my reading list, you know, even that is like, I mean, I don't know, I think, but it is also a two-way conversation in that, like, you, we can't expect people of color to be educating us, but their wants and needs need to be heard. Like, that is the whole point, you know, is giving voice to people that don't have one or haven't had one previously. So you can't do that without making it a conversation. And, you know, so it does take, it does take some, um, instruction on like where like you know you can't just I don't know I mean you, yeah like there's obvious like reading materials and stuff like that but like I said I think you know a two-way conversation is a huge aspect of um being um being a human and wanting to like do bet make the world a better place like you can't you can't do that as a singular person you have to you know, you have to have the conversations with the with the marginalized communities to know how it is for them and how they're being marginalized and what can be made to change it. Yeah. This is Tanya, and yes to all of that, and thank you both for, you know, those are important points. I, I think being in white skin myself, what I see is the way that white people show up in these conversations or be it, you know, straight cisgender people show up in these conversations is to be an ally. They think they can fix it. It comes with being part of the dominant culture of, okay, I understand that you are facing something that I, you know, is an injustice, but my instinct as a member of the dominant culture is let me now fix it. And to the point that you just made, Claire, white people need to understand or the dominant group needs to understand enough to even step back. And that requires education about 
the systemic existence of suppression and injustice in society, most of them don't see it to, to make that choice and then bring themselves with that understanding to the type of conversation that Fractal was, was talking about. You need to be enlightened enough to understand that thinking that you can alone fix it because of your status, if you will, is ignorance that only makes it worse. And so not to, you know, I, I am part of an organization where that is our focus is helping educate white people about how to show up in conversations with, you know, uh, people of color or wherever the marginalized group is without that. I can fix it, but with a, let me understand where you're coming from. And sometimes that takes an additional amount of work or a, as we refer to our program at AWARE, a racism 101 to, to, to make them open to participate in those conversations with people of color to say, let me hear you, let me hear how we can get there. And in my experience, that is such a key piece of being able to do this successfully and without causing more harm to the people in the marginalized groups by trying to show up to the table and have a conversation about how do we make this better only to have the people in the dominant group try to tell you how it should be again to, to the examples that you had given. So it's not as easy as people just showing up, but I think they need to understand a lot more about how society is actually framed before they're often even ready to understand the experiences that people in the non-dominant groups have and authentically hear it. Excellent. I, 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 all of that was so perfect. Um, it really was. I, that was a great answer. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so that brings us into our next question because if we are trying to maintain a space where we are learning and not speaking over the marginalized community, um, what are some of the major missteps in conjunction with that, that people make surrounding allyship? For example, claiming to be an ally but not actually doing anything, um, perhaps going too far in the opposite direction, like going off about something online to other people that really actually doesn't matter in the whole because it, uh, for whatever reason, only sounding off in an echo chamber, et cetera. Uh, we're in, what do you think, Zach? Yeah, so I think... Um a ton of that has to do with the concept of accountability, um, which is like really a term that's been totally redefined for me over the last couple of years and spending time in um, space with people who've been willing to do the work of <laughs> helping me understand their experience. Um, and I, one of the ways I would kind of describe that is that on, on one end of the spectrum of, um, let's say somebody, you know, um, is talking to you about an experience they've had or um, more so let's, let's say like, you know, 
I'm talking to, Tanya's talking to me about a time that I said something that really hurt her, and I, maybe I didn't intend it that way, but that's how I felt on her. And um, she's talking to me about that, and on, and on one end of the spectrum, I can say, like, well, I mean, that's in the past. There's, nothing, there's literally nothing I can do about that now, um, so it doesn't matter. Um, and so I'm just going to, you know, I guess thanks for telling me, but I'm not going to use that information to inform anything about how I decide to move forward. I think on the other end of the spectrum, um, and this would be kind of along the lines of like going too far into this, you know, social justice warrior um, realm is Tani could tell me about that time that I, you know, harmed her and I could just dominate the conversation by talking about, you know, apologizing all over myself. Like, oh my God, I, I, you're right. I, you know, I am just, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm unforgivable. I could never, I can't believe I did that to you. Could you, ever, I, you know, I, I don't even deserve to ask for forgiveness. It's not even whatever. And, and in both of those situ, like both of those situations, you just, you completely shut that conversation off. There's no recognition of like what's actually happened. There's no, you're, you're dominating the conversation at that point. In the, in the case where I'm, you know, sort of falling on my sword, now the other person's in this position of feeling like they have to comfort me when that was not what the intent of the whole conversation was supposed to be about. On the other end, I'm just not even acknowledging their experience is valid or, or real. And I think where accountability exists is in between those two things where I'm not, I'm not dominating the conversation by making it about the way that I feel about having hurt this person um, or harm that's been caused. And I'm not moving on just regardless of the harm that's caused, but I'm looking at that. And in this case, in the conversation we're talking about, we're talking about you know, systemic injustice I'm looking at that systemic injustice. I'm trying to understand it. I want to acknowledge it. Um, I want to say, you know, here are the things I feel like I'm understanding about that while also knowing that, like, I'm never going to get to a place of complete understanding of that. And then using that information to inform the way that I move forward in the world and understanding, like, you know, I, I play a part in that. I'm equal, I, I can look at people doing terrible things and and see a little bit of myself in those people and understand like I'm capable of doing, I'm capable of doing harm and that I need to know about these things that have already happened so that I can honor those and move forward in a way that doesn't perpetuate that uh, systemic injustice. And, um, but approaching it in a, in a as selfless as possible way, I guess, and not, not trying to make that about me on either end of that spectrum. Um, and it, the way that that comes up in different people can be a thousand different things. Um, but I, I feel like that uh, often kind of, that's kind of the root of a lot of that. This is Fractal. Um, I just want to thank Zach for what he said. I, I, I totally back that. Um, because I think the problem is becomes, especially online, but even offline, there's a sense of self-righteousness in it that happens. And that kind of alludes to, I think, the next problem. One of the missteps is that I think we as allies and as empathetic people um, have to be wary and really stay focused on the task at hand because there are forces that will try to manipulate us and try to weaponize our empathy against our own best interest for everyone. Like, our, and when I say our own best interest, like the things that we care about, where we care about these groups that are being marginalized, whether it be the LGBTQ or Black Americans or or um, Muslims or you know women, anyone for that matter, whether it be people in, of a certain socioeconomic class bracket, bracket you know, 
and they'll weaponize our empathy against one another. They'll weaponize it to where we'll have, um, as Dr. Cornell was said, you know, for black people, black faces are high places. Because how do you have, you know, so many successful black people in so many different industries in this country, and yet black people as a whole can't go down the street and ask someone, hey, can you lend me like five dollars? <laughs> you know, like how is it that you have all the success? Sometimes our, our empathy can be weaponized against us where, well, you can't say that about this person because of what their identity is. Like, is their identity tied to the success of their community? Is their identity tied to the justice that needs to be done to that community? Or are they participating in a system towards the injustice? Because if we look at history of colonization and imperialism, that's always the case. You use someone for that community um, against them. And so while we're paying attention to something that no one's paying attention to and then having people who are not showing up at all um sometimes think that people are paying attention to that they shouldn't could be really doing the opposite effect so make sure that you don't look at what really needs to be done this is tanya i have two i'd like to share and one somewhat to to what fractal just stated Often those who recognize something needs to change and be done and decide that they would like to be a part of it, I think two things happen. One, they then feel better than people who don't make that choice. And by doing so, then alienate those, the people who haven't made that choice yet. And in alienating them, it makes it more difficult to spread the word and grow the movement and bring those people along. So the righteousness that can come with saying that you are an ally or joining and and saying, I'm going to support this movement can hurt the movement if you aren't focused on how can I reach others that are not part of this yet and help them understand what I understand about this. And I think that comes a lot with listening and being willing to not talk as much, but to listen more and be willing to listen to people that you don't agree with. Another one is, I think oftentimes a misstep is seeing these problems as actions of individuals or viewpoints of individuals and missing the systemic nature, a bit to what Zach was talking about, of being willing to see yourself in those that you think are perpetuating harm against a marginalized group. And I heard someone uh, made the statement where someone called racism, it's like a shark in the water. And another person responded and said, no, it's the water. And I think that's how we have to think about what how society perpetuates the marginalization of groups is that it's everywhere where you're not seeing it and so being focused on who does or says something bad allows the water to continue to exist and not really focusing on the broader societal problem that we have yeah i think i totally agree with all of the aspects that other people have said um another one that i have noticed and that i wanted to bring up specifically was the um propping up of idols with when it comes to um people who 
maybe are very present, have a very online, like very present online allyship, I would say, you know, um, maybe it speaks to the social justice warrior type internet, you know, how that's been kind of co-opted to mean like people who just go after anybody for saying anything, if it's not PC enough or, you know, like, or just, you know, using their voice and, you know, telling people that they're offending others when everyone else was like, yeah, no, that's, we don't, that's, we're not offended by this. Like maybe chill, you know, but it's these, it's the idea that a lot of people I've noticed, especially lately, um, as, as we've progressed into the next year and we've kind of distant, like there's been such a distance between the protests of last summer is this propping up of idols and we're like a borderline worshiping people who have, you know, been, you know, maybe, maybe a celebrity or a, a person or an academic that they follow and not realizing that they, they're, they, that those people can also be problematic if they're not checked, you know, and you, you know, people are fallible and I think that, um, there needs to be more accountability. And I think that we should be able to accept that people are human while also saying that we don't have to, we, we don't have to prop these people up as being, you know, godlike or untouchable and that they're, you know, we, you don't model yourself after others. You model yourself after who you want to be and more of an idea and a concept in, in this realm of like quote unquote allyship, you know, I don't think it's, um, yeah, it's, it, I think there's a, like a lot of like trying to be too much like the people who, whose voices you hear constantly and not enough of like listening to people whose voices maybe aren't being listened to. And maybe that's, you know, I don't know. I just thought that was another one, uh, another misstep that I see quite a bit. Hey, this is nuance here. Um, thank you for answering that question. Those were all excellent answers. I couldn't really have said better myself. Um, moving on to the next question, and that's what are some resources or general suggestions you would make to someone who wants to start down the path of allyship but might not know where to begin? And I'd like to direct this to Clarity. This is Clarity. Um, so don't say it like this, really don't. But um, to start, we need to shut up. Like, <laughs> you cannot help anyone if you're talking. Like, you cannot help anyone if you don't know how to stop talking. Um, so commonly we'll say, oh, we want to help, and then we'll get there and try to insert ourselves when everything is already made for us to be in that space. Um, so the first thing you need to do is be able to shut up and listen. Um, and then, I kid you not, uh, Google it. I'm not kidding. Google it. It takes seconds. Um, at the start of the summer, my sister, uh, Spooky, and I Googled it. <laughs> we were like, we can't sit here anymore. We can't. We can't just sit here. We, we have to move. We have to stand up. 
So we Googled it and we found Detroit. And then we're at 200 plus days later and we're still there and we're still marching. We had a march today. We're not done. That's the biggest thing. If you're, gonna, if you're going to say that you want to become not part of the problem anymore, um, you have to get off the fence because a lot of white people sit on that fence real comfy and they're just chilling and they're saying, all right, I'm going to change my profile picture and then I'm going to start talking real loud about all of the injustices but I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to sign any petitions. I'm not going to educate myself. I'm not going to watch anything. I'm just going to do this and say I'm going to do this. We have to, have to, have to, have to get up. We have to get up. And like, I know that's harsh. Um, and I'm not trying to be ableist. If you can't, you can't, right? But again, we have the world at our fingertips. We have phones in our hands constantly. It, I, and I tell people this all the time. If you can make a TikTok, you can Google an article. So start looking stuff up. Look around your local area. Find out what's going on around you. Find out what's going on in your community. Because odds are, it's probably racist. But yeah, that's where I'm at. And I'm gonna, we're going to open that up to everybody else. Yeah, this is Zach. Um... Yeah, I I love that. And I mean, maybe saying shut up is a little bit harsh, but like, it's appropriately harsh. <laughs> I wouldn't say it to uh, them. Yeah, it would depend on the relationship with the person for sure. Um, I think it, what you were sharing a lot reminds me of a, um, a quote from Letter from Birmingham Jail from um, Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King. And there's a, there's a section where he talks about um, the danger of the white moderate and that like, I just love that section. I hate that section, and I love that section because it's just so, so true. Um, and I was just thinking that way. You're talking about getting off the fence. That, uh, and, and basically, his point is that like the real danger to um, their movement isn't isn't the KKK. It's not skinheads. It's not neo-Nazis. It's the white moderate. Like at least at least if somebody's wearing a hood, you know where they stand. Like you know what you're gonna get. You're not gonna get any surprises. Like you've got the expectation that you know they're going to fall into that. What's so much worse is the person who, who changes the profile picture, who purports to be there to support you, and maybe gets there for a minute and then does something and betrays your trust and, or, or, just, or just pieces out in the moment where you, you know, they actually needed you and, and causes real pain versus you know, somebody who they could have just written off from the beginning. And um, I think that goes to I mean, my suggestion for where would you where should somebody start if they want to become part of that is to heal yourself. Right. And I think like we, if, if we haven't sorted out our own stuff, like what business do we have trying to help heal other people at that point? And that's what this is. That's what this is about, right? Like we're talking about people who are, go, who are being marginalized because of all these systems um, and, you know, all sorts of intersections too, between, um, all the, all those different groups and if you're bringing your own you know your your own baggage or your own what however you want to phrase that into that situation like that that's always going to have an impact on that and you can't get rid of that but i think 
either, you know, if it's therapy, if it's meditation, if it's spirituality, if it's, you know, peyote, I don't know, whatever works for you. <laughs> like, you need to work on that yourself so that you're aware of that when you bring it in. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think I will ever get to a point where I'm like, eh, yeah, I fixed myself, I'm good. Like, that is a journey that will be my whole life. But I feel like at this point I have some level of awareness where I know that if it, if it goes into a certain topic or something like that, like where that's going to trigger me and where I need to check myself to make sure that like I'm not bringing my own, um, you know, my own issues into something else and, and, and projecting those on somebody else um, when, I'm, when I'm trying to be there to help. Um, but, it's, but it's easy to, to hurt when you're when you're not aware of uh, what you're bringing in. Uh, this is from hey. me. Oh, go ahead. Well, as a, as a black person, I highly, highly appreciate those answers. I agree with them. I would add, um, and this is me being specific, um, things to look up. Look up Reconstruction history. I know there was a recent podcast on Reconstruction. Look up how people were affected. Look up... If you're a white person, you want to deal with racism, look up people who are abolitionists, look up people who, you know, actually put their lives on the line in solidarity. They went beyond what I believe allyship will hopefully, what we really want to try to get to is just solidarity and look up the work that they did. Look up the, the people who you never see statues of that stood up for what is right. Um, look up uh, a guy by the name of Frank Taylor. He's a white guy that defended Fred Hampton, who was murdered by the police in Cointel Pro and how he stood in solidarity with the black women in his neighborhood and his family did as well. Uh, look up a guy by the name of Armio Safe and Frog. Um, look up political philosophy and understand that what we're really fighting are concepts of freedom because like whiteness or even heterosexual um, dominance or uh, cisgender dominance, these are not just biological things or like whiteness is not just the skin color, it's a concept of freedom. And under our current context, it is an underdeveloped concept of freedom based on the degradation of black people, LGBT, women, and whatnot. So you look up these things that ask yourself, how did the world come to exist the way that it is and why? You know, and uh, you even got people who were the racist, like Columbus himself. He wrote what he did out of his own mouth. So when people say, oh, Columbus, they're just blowing it over and there being SJWs is like, no, he admitted that he did horrible things and that he raped and pillaged and maimed people. So um, look up those things as far as a resource and talk to people and listen. Listen to some old black folks that you never heard of. You know, my wife's grandmother is 94 years old from Mississippi and did sharecropping. So she didn't have the right to vote and she did slavery 2.0. And she's seen all of this and it's still kicking. So that those people are still around. This is Tanya. And I just want to add a couple of other resources. There's a video online called Birth of a White Nation. That is um, a great just overview of the beginning of the concept of race in this country and the economic underpinnings of that, right, of, of needing a labor force that could be controlled by an underclass of, of white people, essentially, um, and the laws that preceded that. I think that's really valuable. There's a ton on PBS these days and a fantastic documentary on Reconstruction. The, wonderful. I can't recommend it enough. And they have a lot of other really good 
Um, Driving While Black is one that's on there that is fantastic, but there are more than I could um, list here. But in addition to educating ourselves, the other piece that I um, often talk to folks about is to look around in your sphere of influence and see where there are places that you can make a difference. And those are little things like if you are in a meeting with someone and they start to talk about real Americans or those people, to just take a minute with a kind heart and ask, who are the real Americans? And then who are not the real Americans? Or who are those people that you're talking about? Can you define that more? Or if it's the poor people, but you can tell they're actually talking about people of color, to just inquire kindly. You don't have to be, um, to be offensive or aggressive about it. But to, by you seeing those instances to maybe have someone else think about what they're really saying can be the seeds of them understanding a bit more about their unconscious approach to how they think about the world and how they talk about things. And then the final specific one, and again, I'm bringing my white skin to this, but another group that focuses on activism for white people that I have found to be phenomenal is called Standing Up for Racial Justice, or S-U-R-G, that they are part of the allyship community, um, but I think that they do it particularly well. And our nationwide, they have several um, um, in Michigan, and they have several uh, branches or chapters, I guess, here in Michigan as well. So that is one where connect with the group that's doing the work, and that will give you ideas as well. And you can learn about things that are going on um, to, to be able to engage and be active. Uh, this is Bracco here. You just yeah. reminded me of a resource, Gerald Horn's Origins of White Supremacy. He wrote a book about how religion and white supremacy tied, how it was kind of happened on accident. So that's a great resource. And look up not just Reconstruction history, but the Gilded Age that they didn't teach us in all our schoolings because you had a lot of white, black, and immigrants coming together. So you're listening like to Dr. King's old speeches, like uh, is one on March 25th, 1965. He talked about how racism was fabricated through the media like it did with Trump recently and division and all of that and how you had people come together but get broken apart because we have a history of a mosaic of multicultural multi-ethnic multi-gender identity and sexuality coming together time and time again and that's the work we're trying to sustain so i would look up that too just as from a person of color's point of view coming from a tradition of doing this seeing like okay this is the thing they're trying to prevent us from doing from a class and race and gender standpoint, and sexuality. Yeah, Claire here. Sorry, I just wanted to add in another thing, another aspect of it too, is um, watching your language, I think is something that some people just have struggle with. Um, so it's like um, just the concept of practicing conversation, practice saying things out loud. Like I know um, maybe not necessarily so much racially, but maybe being an ally in terms of like the LGBTQ plus community is 
um, like practicing pronouns, like practicing saying they and them is like hard for some people. So like even something as small as that can be an active way that you can um, engage with other groups and not not be the guy that's, you know, or, you know, not be that person in the room that's, you know, speaking about something, you know, and uh, possibly offending other people. I think that's a huge thing. Just, just starting out fresh. If you're like, you know, Oh, maybe, maybe there are things that you've said in the past where you didn't necessarily know the context of that term and it's actually extremely problematic. You know, I think that's a huge thing for starting out because, you know, walking into those conversations fresh it it's going to be hard if you don't practice or look into it at all and you know it can be discouraging first want like I, maybe not from my own experience, but I've talked to other people who have like, you know, started down this path of allyship, to, so to speak. And one of the hardest parts was like feeling kind of shut down when they realized that there was things, you know, you don't want to just walk in there with guilt because you've done things in the past that have hurt others or, or used terms that are possibly offensive. And, so educating yourself on what those things might be before having those conversations might help it so that you don't get burned and feel like, oh, well, now I'm the bad guy. You know, it, you don't want to sour those experiences before you have them. So that's just another little small, small thing to add in, um, at least starting out when starting the conversation. If this is Zach, I know we probably have to move on to the next question, but I just wanted to call out Claire because I don't even know if you realized you did it, but in your middle of your talking about the importance of language and understanding how, like, not trying to use the wrong words, you, you said you don't want to be that guy, and then you said, or, I mean, you don't want to be that person. I think it was just perfect because you just corrected and just moved on. You didn't make a huge deal about it, but it was, like, literally exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, I just caught myself. I was like... I'm literally doing it. I had that moment too. <laughs> this is clarity. I noticed that too. I was going to fire it out. Glad you did it. <laughs> so that brings, us, that brings us full circle, right? Because now we have a bunch of resources and a bunch of tips and a bunch of ways that those people can, you know, move forward with what they want to do in this. So question number seven is going to be, what does the future of allyship look to you, look like to you? Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and pitch this one to Fractal. Oh, thank you. So Fractal here. I, I think the, the perfect segue was from Claire and I, I didn't even notice that she did that. She's cracked herself so casually that it's just like oh okay and i think that that's that's where we want to be as well as we want to start to really look at going towards solidarity of just being human beings and i think that when we look at relationships of um people from different groups i think about it as if you are are actually trying to learn how to dance and i when i was in college i did salsa and a proper salsa class is going to 
have you dance with different people and everybody has different body memories and body habits. And so sometimes you might step on a person's toe, but as long as you are genuine and open and saying, Hey, I'm willing to listen and learn. We have to give room to accept that we're not going to be perfect towards one another, both in the political sphere and in our social spheres. That's where the grace comes in, but you have to balance that grace with accountability, just like you have to balance forgiveness with um, justice, because without it, you just get wickedness and corruption and whatnot. So I think that's the future of allyship slash solidarity, where we're willing to take those risks. We're willing to lose something. You know, how many people are willing to say, you know what, I don't like the fact that my community says our the price of our property value is going to go down if X amount of black people are in our community. You know what we're going to say? We're going to have more than this amount of black people in our community. And yeah, that may hurt the inheritance that you might get from you folks on your property taxes. But that's the only way to change the system because that's how realtors write it. So that way we don't have that divide. Same thing with class. We can't just focus on one thing like race or those identities and not think about class because that's the common thread. And if we can take class off the table, then we can really hold people accountable because just like in my community, if people are poor, they're more likely to cry. People are poor and abused, they're more likely to go to white supremacy. Take class off the table and know that our common enemy are people of all races and backgrounds who control all the money. And some of them are in solidarity with us and some of them are not. Some of them will look like us and still do war crimes. And I think that that's where real allyship will rather solidarity, as I would like to call it, is going to go forward to. This is Tanya. I will share what I hope it is, and I think it's to what Fractal was just talking about, is that I think it's economics that underlie a lot of what continues to perpetuate the marginalization of groups in society. And that we have a really steep um, political battle to actually change the system. Our political system is structured around those who already have money and power to continue to perpetuate their money and power. It requires us all to band together and to put the good of the whole above the good of the individual in order to have the type of society that we want to live in. And so I hope that it means that by educating ourselves, all of us, in how we can truly make a better society, and again, that being very focused on how our economic system is structured, that we can accomplish real systemic change that by changing the economics and the class issues, we can then give people the space to eliminate or reduce at least the racial issues. Um, this is on. Go ahead, Okay. Um, right. I was just gonna say I love how it, um, how Fractal pivoted so perfectly to like Marxism light, and then we're <laughs> just getting there, which I. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, acknowledging the overlap and all of that, and I think, like, I 
a, big, a, a huge part of all of it for me is like just be being willing to be wrong or be proven wrong or and then at some point like I feel like where I'm right now is like I'm looking for opportunities to be wrong about stuff um, and uh, that was a lot of my like realization about capitalism and becoming anti-capitalist and at this point I would consider myself like an anarcho-communist uh, uh, which is a pretty big pretty big leap from my more conservative upbringing but like um, yeah, class underlies all of it, and I think having um, kind of what Tanya was talking about is like holding holding a vision of um, an aspirational vision. Um, one of my friends and um, somebody really close to me talks about having instead of having like a five year plan, have like a, a three thousand year plan, and think about like where where is what we're doing today heading towards way out there, and at the same time having that vision and also realizing like what are the immediate things that you can do. I think it sounds, it's, it's really similar to like think globally but act locally. Um, so look at, you know, look at national politics, look at global politics, look at all that because it's all super important and at the same time invest your time in building a relationship with like a person or an organization um, or, or doing like just a thing. Um, and not getting worked up about like I want to address the movement of white nationalism in North America and it's you know the way that the GOP is utilizing whatever like that's all important all super important know all that and like think about your person who lives two houses down from you and the fact that you've seen that their steps are icy and you have salt and you could go help them like that's where the real work is and I think um, for me, that's where I hope the, the future of allyship looks like is, is community building and it's relationship building and it's um, mutual aid and it's putting the, putting the welfare of your community or your pod or your circle or your family or your friends or however you want to refer to that above your own, um, your own well-being. Like as a cis white dude who makes a comfortable amount of money like I'm dripping in privilege and like that's what I want to do is use that in every way that I can to try to bring up the collective people around me um, in any way in any way that okay this is nuance here and thank you for sharing that uh, Zach um, what I wrote uh, this last summer uh, was the six steps to allyship. I, I think this is the steps that I think every ally quote goes through. And if I could get uh, self-reflection, if if anyone has ever gone through any of these steps, uh, let me know. I I would like to hear what everyone thinks about this. Um, the first step, I think, is question and denial uh, when an ally hears about uh, discrimination, or either that be racially or uh, sexual orientation or anything. They question about it and then they deny it. Say, I haven't seen it. It's, that's not there. There's no discrimination there. Step two is when they actually listen and start to feel some guilt of thinking, oh, I, I didn't see that before, and now I see it. And then they go into, I want to say, almost a depression 
Uh, third step, they separate themselves from, I want to say, society. They kind of have, they need time to rethink their, their understanding of what allyship and what discrimination really is. Um, step four is understanding uh, what the true discrimination really is and learning about it. That's where they actually build their self-understanding of it all. And step five is when they actually are the allyship. They speak out, they go to protest, they start signing petitions, they, they actually put in work to help change what the, uh, the marginalized community is facing. And step six is consistency. Uh, how, uh, basically how consistent they are with, with being an ally. It, did any of you go through any of these steps? I have, this is fractal. Um, I have as far as coming up black in America, it's like being a liberal and a conservative. So I have some conservative upbringing, even though I thought that some of my efforts were um, very progressive, I still had to come and see like, wow, I feel short in certain ways. And it's not that I chose these things. These are things I was conditioned to. Same thing with being a man. I didn't fundamentally understand to the depths until I got married, you know, the type of privilege that men have just on a social level and, you know, how to try to get more to an egalitarian type of gender dynamic rather than the colonial one that we have, which is in a way anti-black anyway, and not good for anybody where it's more on dominant. So I, I've definitely experienced that. Okay. Well, um, how did you feel um, sharing your thoughts today? What is something someone said today that touched you or struck you? And I'd like to throw this question to Claire. Oh yeah, Claire here. Um, yeah, I think touching on um, what Zach was saying towards the end of that last question about like the future of allyship, I loved like the like the journey of realizing that like I don't know that it's like that I don't know the um what was it I I can't remember exactly how I phrased it but I really liked the um the I I guess I'll just echo it was like the concept that I think Fractal even touched on it too while answering that question was um this like this idea that it's like a marathon not a sprint and that it's it's take it's going to take some time but also that like you know we have to recognize that there's human in all of us and like but also that like that same human that we see in ourselves is like that's what that's the goal is to see that in every single person that you come across you know recognizing that those rights that you have or that injustice that you feel regardless of whether you come from a privileged background or not like I don't know anyone who hasn't you know felt some kind of discrimination at least at some point whether it's because of their class there's you know socioeconomic background whether it's their race whether it's their gender whether it's the religion that they were raised with you know like everybody experiences some form of marginalism at some point and 
So recognizing it that, you know, like there's the human and the, the other person and your neighbor is really um, that that's like kind of the goal is to just see that in, in all aspects. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really nice hearing everybody's perspectives today. I, uh, I'm going to take a lot away from this one, <laughs> I think. Um, this is Fractal, and I was grateful to be a part of this conversation. The fact that the conversation's happening. Um, two particular, well, three particular things. I, I, I want to thank Nuance for describing that process. Um, it made me really think about, you know, what people go through when their whole world is turned upside down and everything they knew is being challenged and having empathy for that. Um, cause I, I think just, in a way, I was born in the sense of everything being challenged at all times, so it's normal to me. <laughs> so I kind of, I'm kind of desensitized to that on a certain level. Um, I'm also grateful to Tanya and to Zach. Tanya is saying, and, and Zach both said the same thing, like the people that you're around, your inner circle, kind of come at them with a loving heart. It reminded me of the fact that even though we may want to push forward for things that are better, that we still live in a democracy. And if we want to have a culture of democracy, which is, I think, the real goal, where there's power that's democratized, we have to accept that people have the right to participate in things and not to participate in things. And as long as it's done in a way that's respectful and just and lawful, then, you know, you can't force somebody to be something that they're not because that's what was done to people who were marginalized. And to invert that is not justice in itself. As well as, I love how Zach said that have a 3,000 year plan. This is a generational commitment. It has to be from generation to generation because it was generation to generation that this injustice and this uh, oppression that was done. And so it's not going to be fixed overnight. And even when it is fixed, it needs to be sustained for generation to generation. You know, money doesn't fix everything. Time is really more valuable. With all the lives that have been lost that could have blessed our society and the world, and just their own family, let alone people who maybe didn't come from good families and, you know, overcame all that to be a good person and they get snuffed out by the police or by poverty and sickness. You know, that, that's something that we need to commit ourselves and teach our kids and our kids' kids and our kids' kids' kids in order to really make things right. So um, I'm just grateful that I'm hearing these voices from all different spectrums. And I see that um, going on in cities like Detroit where there are white and Asians fighting for black folks who are being discriminated against in their own community and not being able to get housing. They took up the fight without black people even being part of the suit. And I can now provide a link to that story. And I think it's amazing. And, and that's what I want to see going forward. So I, this really inspired and touched me in a lot of ways. This is Zach. Um, I think I, I really appreciate when um, Tanya talked about maintaining relationships with people who are close to you that you know um, you have some work to do but, or she would she said it in a way that was less uh, condescending but um, <laughs> I think I've uh, I've always tried to do that but I think especially recently um, just I mean since January like um, with a lot of the focus on the extremities of, I guess, political points of view. Um, I think it, it gets really easy to 
associate those sorts of actions like the insurrection with your you know uncle who's voted for Trump um, and there's a whole giant spectrum of that <laughs> um, in existence and I, I think it's important to maintain healthy space and boundaries with people who um, who you know have problematic points of view and I think I've maybe placed a little bit too much focus on that recently and maybe burned a, a couple too many bridges where um, there might be an opportunity for me to still um, try to extend some understanding to those folks and be the person to maybe plant that seed like she was talking about and call them in to try to, you know, just have have a moment of, moment of introspection or, or empathy or, or whatever that looks like. And um, I would I would much rather me be the person calling that person in to try to have that conversation than it being, you know, a, a person of color or somebody that's actually at the butt end of their, um, you know, racist or, or sexist or whatever remarks or points of view. This is Tanya, and just so deeply appreciated being part of this conversation and with all of you sharing your wisdom and your insight. Um, I was both appreciated fractal the resources that you shared. I wrote those down and looking forward to checking some things out. Um, and Zach, you are, it starts with our neighbors. It really struck me as well. And it is local that we can really make a difference. That is part of the sphere of influence concept that I, I, I wasn't thinking of it in quite that way. And all of those things matter in creating and being part of the society that we want to live in, where people take care of each other, regardless of how much money they make or what they look like. And so just appreciate that that generally is the point of allyship and that you've all raised and provided this space for us to talk about that. And just leaving with the, every time I have a conversation like this, I learn something and I grow and I'm just so thankful to continue to do that and know that that in fact is also part of the journey is staying open that we all always have something to learn. And so again, I'm just grateful for that opportunity with all of you here. This is clarity. I applaud every single one of your patients. I really do like that's there's n nothing in that. Just you guys have patience um, and you guys all have a very we all have a very general understanding of the very fine line between calling in and coddling oppression. There is a line, and we all understand where that line is. Because what Zach said that, um, he said something, I'm sorry, I have ADHD. He said something, and it made, I literally said, that's the difference. That's the difference, because using your privilege to fight against something you don't experience, right, is different than saying, stop doing this to me, right? Because intersections, again, um, you guys don't know me. I'm very poor. Um, <laughs> I have a lot going on, right? So the being able to have a conversation where everyone is generally understanding of be polite, 
but take nothing. I was, you guys know what I'm saying there, right? Be polite. There are people who are receptive to understanding, people who are receptive to learning new things, and then there are people who aren't. And so we have to decide in places of privilege if we're going to continue those arguments, if those are things, if they are receptive to knowledge, or if we need to love from a distance, right? Yes, that, exactly that. <laughs> wrote, and I'm going to read it, do no harm, but take no shit. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. And this is nuance here. Um, <laughs> the thing that uh, stood out to me the most is uh, clarity, saying get off the fence. <laughs> I couldn't agree with that more. And uh, shutting up and listen, I, I think those really stuck out to me the most, and it really echoes uh, really well. Um, also, Tanya, she mentioned um, this organization of AWARE, and I was totally unaware, no pun intended, that it was a, a thing. I, I didn't know there was an organization that was there for... Uh, basically white people to understand uh, racist ed education further. I, that would have helped me a lot earlier knowing, <laughs> for sure. And I appreciate that, really. And honestly, I want to thank everyone for participating today. Um, we appreciate you, and I appreciate you, and are honored to have you on our show. Thank you all for sharing your perspectives and opinions today. Thank you for being vulnerable and being open to new ideas. This is how we move forward as a society must be, comfort uh, must be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And uh, thank you uh, again, Tanya, um, Claire, and Zach, and of course, clarity as well. And fractal. And fractal. And fractal. <laughs> well, thank you. Alrighty. So thank you guys again for participating in the episode. Again, Tanya was with um, an organization called AWARE, Raising Racism Awareness to White Caucus Organizations. And you can find them at awaretogether.org. Thank you, Zach, Claire, and fractal. Yes, thank you everyone for being here today. Thank you especially to our listeners. We upload regularly scheduled episodes every Saturday and hump day PSAs on Wednesdays. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I can be in uh, just podcasts on Apple, iPhones, Apple devices, SoundCloud, Thank you. Thank you.